We've been in a sermon series called uh, Four Truths and a Lie. And, uh, and today we're, we're talking about, um, well, you'll, you'll see. We're going to talk about the love of God. But here, here are four truths and a lie about my life again. We start off like this. Um, I love eating Christmas cookies. I love looking at Christmas lights. I love singing Christmas carols. I love attending Christmas Eve services. I love how the COVID pandemic brought our country together. Which one's a lie? Yeah, I don't like Christmas cookies. You're right. No, I'm kidding. Obviously the last one. Well, the four truths of Christmas are that um, Christ alone can give us enduring hope, peace, joy, and love. The four candles. Christ alone, the center candle. Can, he's the only one who can give us. And, and we're focusing on uh, Christ's love this morning. What is the lie? Well, God, for God so loved the world, that's the truth, that he gave us his one and only son. We're focusing on his love. But there are two big lies that people believe about God's love, and they are this. God cannot possibly love me after all that I've done in my life, all the bad things. <clears throat> Second is God's love guarantees salvation to everyone, to all, including me. Those are kind of two ditches on either side of the road, and we could, uh, and they're dangerous ditches if we live our lives with those, um, with those thoughts. So the first ditch would be, uh, God cannot love me after all that I've done. People say, I can understand how God loves the world, you know, for God to love the world after all, right? But, but that's not me, because really, if you knew the real me, then you would know that God couldn't love someone like me. I've messed up far too much. How can God love and accept me with all my secret sins and whatnot? <clears throat> well, I'd like to uh, share a summary of a guy. Uh, a guy talked about God's love. I read, read an article by him, and, and, and this summed it up way better than I could, I think, regarding this lie and the truth of God's love. It's by Heath Krugel. And this is what he writes. Well, first, before I get, get on to read that, what would be your favorite love story of all time? Perhaps you thought of a Hollywood romance like Titanic or The Notebook or The Terminator. No. Or, a love, or you might have thought of the Hallmark movies, you know, the love stories in the Hallmark movies. Really, there's only one movie with different characters, right? <clears throat> or perhaps you thought of one of the many Disney movies, you know, the, the love of the prince for the princess, like Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin or Cinderella. <clears throat> We're talking about a prince here, you know. <clears throat> and so this is what Heath Krugel writes. He writes, which is better love story? One where the prince sends someone else to rescue the princess for him or where the prince himself risks his life and comes and rescues the princess. Isn't the Bible the greatest love story of all time about a prince who didn't make someone else do the dirty and difficult work, but took upon himself to rescue his future bride? Author Donald Miller defines what makes a good story. He says it involves a character who wants something and overcomes conflict in order to get it. Well, in the greatest love story ever told, we find the main character, God, wanting something and overcoming conflict to get it. What did he want? 
Well, he wanted a relationship with us. He wanted our hearts. So he set off on a mission. He was on the move. It was game on. He would stop at nothing to get what he wanted. He was madly in love. Ever since the first humans fell in the garden, fell out of relationship with God, God has pursued his people. He tried to get their attention in all kinds of ways. He created a beautiful garden. He painted a rainbow in the sky. He took them stargazing and promised a big family and a new home and a new land. He got their attention in a burning bush. He heard their cries for help. He played hero and rescued them from their enemies time and again. He parted the body of water 20 miles across and at least 230 feet deep so that his people could escape the Egyptian enemy. He made it rain manna and quail from the sky and provided water from a rock. He ultimately, he guided them into a better, better land, one flowing with milk and honey. He protected his people from enemy peoples year after year after year as they overtook the land and he let, never would leave them. Why? Because he loved them. He wanted them to know him and he wanted them to love him. He couldn't stop thinking about them. He was head over heels for them. So he pursued and he pursued and he pursued. But as any good story, it would include a conflict. And what was the conflict? Well, the conflict was that the people said no. They wouldn't give him their hearts. He moved towards them, but they turned their backs on him again and again. They loved other gods, and the one and only true God, the passionate, jealous lover who had romanced and courted his people for thousands of years, suffered a broken heart time and again. Will they ever remember me? Will they take notice of me? Will they see my love for them is real? Do they not realize that I would do anything for them? What can I do to break through to them? His heart was heavy. Tears streamed down his cheeks. Despite all the rejection and all the empty commitments and broken promises from his people, he still loved them, and he wasn't ready to give up. There was yet one more thing he could do. So the time came. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God didn't send a letter or email, or flowers, or billboard, or t-shirt. Instead, he sent himself. He became flesh. We call it the incarnation. You mean the God of the universe? Yes, that one. God with us. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Who was this Word? Well, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus, the word, came to walk with us, to hold our hand, to talk with us, to listen to us, to pray with us, to guide us, to protect us, to encourage us, to give us a hug when we need one, to pick us up when we fall, to comfort us when we cry, to celebrate with us when we celebrate. Now that's a love story. But he didn't just come to live with us, he came to die for us. He was spat upon, he was mocked, he was beaten, ultimately he was crucified. 
Why? Because he was in love with us. He, the main character, wanted something, our hearts, and was willing to overcome great conflict, our sin, to win them back, to win us back. It's almost like God reached into his pocket, got down on his knee, and presented something very precious, but something of extraordinary cost, namely his shed blood. So with his arms outstretched, he offered his life. And maybe the manger and the cross are God's way of asking each one of us, will you marry me? Will you spend the rest of your lives with me? And there we are, caught off guard, surprised, humbled, speechless, and we wonder, he wants me? Doesn't he know me? But still he loves me and chooses me of all people? Friends, this Christmas, our God, the God, the Son, our Prince, is proposing to you and me. Okay, so if you're a guy, you might be thinking, I understand it, but it's not too relatable. You know, a prince coming to rescue me. Well, perhaps, guys, you can think of our God, our Savior, like a hero. Um, you might think of someone who came to rescue you like a car mechanic or a tow truck when your car broke down on the side of the road, or a paramedic or a firefighter, or after a car wreck, an insurance agent or police officer, or in sports terminology, your field goal kicker rescued the team, last minute, last second kick, or a military chopper, or a forest ranger. I thought of my son and his wife when they were hiking uh, a couple years ago in one of, one of our Kansas parks, and they took this trail and wandered into the woods, and it got dark, and they couldn't find their way out of the woods. They kept making the wrong turns, and finally they had to humble themselves and call 911, who called the forest ranger, who came with a GPS to find them and lead them out again. They were rescued. Perhaps you think of our Savior like a hero. Or if you're a parent or have been raised by a parent, perhaps you can think of it as a, a good parent. Um, a good parent has no problem thinking that um, or withholding their love from their child when the child is learning to walk and they fall on their face and they, they bump their head or something. And the good parent will love the child unconditionally and encourage and support them in their maturing process. Or if they're being potty trained and, and they don't make it to the bathroom, then a good parent will still love them. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to mess up at times, but I still love you. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father knows when we will stumble when we'll mess up, when we act selfish at times, and yet he loves us fully and perfectly, and he'll continue to cheer us on. But God's love is even much greater than that of a prince asking a woman to marry him or a hero or a parent coming to our rescue. It's not a love that says, I will love you till death do us part, or I will love you as long as we both shall live. No, it's a love that will continue long after our earthly life into all of eternity. That's what he promises. And this love is unconditional. We read in Romans 8, <clears throat> For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
That's the first ditch. First ditch we got to avoid, dangerous, is that God could never love me if he really knew who I was. Well, he does. And then the second ditch and the final ditch is, and the lie is that God's love guarantees salvation for everyone. After all, God so loved the world, right? That he gave us his only son so that you need not perish but have everlasting life. So God loves everyone. Furthermore, everyone has good qualities about them. And therefore, everyone kind of deserves God's love and acceptance. I've never been to a funeral service where a majority of friends and family members did not believe that their loved one was in heaven with God. I mean, I, I honestly, I've never been. You know, they're in a better place with God, and we, we think, well, that's good. But that's a ditch because there's a contingency. First of all, God's word says in Romans 3 that none of us are righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God on their own. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The prophet Isaiah said it this way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. <clears throat> Reminded me of a YouTube video that I saw this past week again. It made me crack up. There's this lamb that is stuck upside down in a crevice, a long, long crevice, you know, as long as a stage. And so this, this shepherd boy pulls, yanks, and conjoles this lamb out of the crevice. Finally gets up, he shakes, and he starts running like this. And then he takes one leap and right into the crevice again, upside down. It was crazy. You got to look that up on YouTube. You've had to have seen it. <clears throat> the wages of sin is death, we're told. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. The wages of our sin is death, which means eternal separation from God. But that's why God sent his son. He had to. Otherwise, we'd be hopelessly lost for eternity. For God so loved the son that he gave his one and only son. In Luke 2, the son came as a babe in a manger. There this shall be a sign to you. You will see a baby lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Why swaddling clothes? Because this baby was born to die. And if you were a shepherd back then, you would know that sheep who were born for a specific purpose to be sacrificed, they had to keep, be kept without blemish, without stain, pure, without injury, so that they would be an acceptable sacrifice offered up to God during the Old Testament sacrificial system. And all these baby lambs would be wrapped in swaddling rags or cloths to protect them so that, from injury so that they would be acceptable. 33 years later, after his crucifixion and upon his burial, Jesus would once again be wrapped. But this time he would be wrapped in fine linen, which would have been a sign of his life of purity and righteousness and divinity. And by the way, one day we will be wrapped similarly in fine linen, we're told in Revelation, because of the righteousness of Christ that covers us. We're told in Revelation 12, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has been made herself ready, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear getting back to the prince and the bride analogy. 
But there's, however, one contingency for it to experience this righteousness and this eternal relationship with our Savior, our Rescuer, our Hero, our Prince. That is, we must receive this gift. And then we must uh, know that there's nothing we could do to deserve it or earn it. Romans 6 goes on, the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, Christ Jesus our Lord. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. That's the contingency. And the word believe in the Greek in the New Testament is more than a mental assent to a truth or a fact. Uh, It means to cling on to, it means to hold on to and depend upon. Sort of like if you're in a parachute and you're or, or if you're flying a plane, it's crashing, you jump out with your parachute, you cling to that parachute, depend upon it. Or a harness for someone who's falling from a cliff. Or a life vest for someone who's capsized in the ocean. Or an air tank for someone who's submerged underwater. You depend on these things. John 3.18 says, whoever believes in that way will not be condemned. Because the devil believes, Right? Everyone believes in God in America. You're a Christian if you're in America. No, that's, that's the ditch. That's the lie. Um, <clears throat> but what about those then who refuse to trust in Christ, depend upon him, and receive him as Savior? John 3.18, often neglected after John 3.16, says, But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. God doesn't condemn us. We condemn ourselves because of our refusal. If a prince sets out to rescue his future bride, but she refuses to go with him and doesn't want anything to do with him, then this prince will not force her to come and marry him because that would not be a good relationship. It wouldn't be true love. So a good prince will let the bride walk away. I would have never forced my wife to love and marry me if I knew she would come on her own free will. I'm kidding about that. If she told me to scram because there was someone else in the picture, then I would have allowed her to leave. I would have been heartbroken. And I would have allowed her to marry that inferior dude. I would have. But fortunately, she saw the light And somehow, because of God's mercy, she came back. Real love is a choice. It's a response of one's free will. And if we walk away from Jesus, he's not going to ever, ever force us to spend eternity with him. Um, He loves us enough to die for us. But we must place our trust in him if we're to experience this eternal relationship with him. God will not force us. He will allow us to be committed to another God, another idol, another, another priority in life. And there are many of them to compete. He will let us go that way. He's not going to force himself on us that way. So these, these are the two dangerous ditches. The lies are God cannot love me after all that I've done. The other side of the road is God certainly loves me and guarantees his eternal life and salvation to me. I'm a good guy. If we're to experience true saving faith and the true love of God in our life, then we must believe in him 
which means to cling to him, depend upon him, rely upon him, ask him to be your savior, walk with him. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. He will come after us because he's our prince, he's our hero, and he's our savior. Let's pray. So Lord Jesus, we thank you this Christmas that we can celebrate you coming to us. At first in the form of a baby, God, you came, you became human flesh so that we could know you and know you intimately and know you eternally. You came to give us forgiveness, set us right with you because through your death and resurrection, you came to clothe us with your fine linen of righteousness through Christ living within us. This is the only way that we can know you and walk with you in fellowship with you. And so we're reminded of that this Christmas and this good news that you've given to us that it's a gift that we cannot deserve, we cannot earn, but it's given to us and extended to us if we would only receive your love. And then finally, Lord, help us to be dispensers of this, this love toward others who are walking in the darkness, hopelessness, believing one of these two lies. I pray, God, that we will speak the truth in love to our friends and family members who don't know you this Christmas. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.